Welcome back to the Race Brothers Podcast. Gewalt, we are super, super excited to be here on the Rabschitzer's Yard site. It's a beautiful morning here in Ramat Pechemesh. And we have our holy Rebbe on, uh, Rabbi Gerzi, Rabbi Yeshua Gerzi. Um, he's been our Rebbe, Yaakov and, and myself. He's been our Rebbe for the last number of years. We got to know him. It's actually a great story how we even got to know the Rebbe. Um, we got to spend some good time visiting different tzaddikim. And, uh, and hopefully we'll get into that. But today we want to open up the life story. What were his drives, his childhood, his connection to many, many of the different tzaddikim um, from his family, other tzaddikim as well. And he built up these deep relationships. And I think we want to explore that, explore the, the idea of mentorship, explore what it means to be a Talmud, what it means to connect with tzaddikim, passing on a Messiah and being connected to a Messiah and, uh, and how it helps us to face the incredible challenges and obstacles that we deal with in a daily life and how we can really grow and transcend through this, really becoming the, the, the yid, yidin we need to be. So, Gvalt, Rebbe. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you very, very much. L'chaim. L'chaim. <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about this because even though over the years um, I have gotten to know the Rebbe a little bit and I've heard a lot of stories but all in bits and pieces, and I'm, I'm so interested. And like, I know that uh, you were connected to so many different tzaddikim um, through your life. And I'm interested in, in, hearing, uh, in hearing like ha- how those relationships came about and, uh, and like really, really driving down and getting into them. I know, and, and I'm, I'm excited to do this because I know you have a wealth of stories and misora uh, to pass on. Um, so let's get right to it. From the beginning, uh, I guess. Yeah, let's take it from well, the beginning. You well, <laughs> let it rip. I mean, where, first of all, where are you from? Originally from London. Um, even though my family roots are obviously not from London, but from London, I grew up in London. I was born in London. I grew up in London till the age. I guess when I came to Yeshiva, um, 17, 18, 18, 19, came to Yeshiva, came back to England, got married, and spent some time in England. And then I came back to Eretz Yisrael. I'd been in Eretz Yisrael maybe, I don't know, my wife will tell me. If my wife here, she throws something at me, and she lets me know that I've made a mistake. Um, I think about 14, 15 years I've been in Eretz Yisrael now. But the journey starts in London, or the journey really starts way before that. And um, my first, I, I would say, uh, do, you, do you want me to speak about the family first or my, you know, the, the, the Rabbon and my, my first mentors? Well, which direction no, I, would you like to I want to hear about you because I know that, that even as a child growing up, you, you know, tell us a little bit about what it was like for you. You, you specifically had a, a unique childhood, whereas maybe I, we, we could jump right into it is that um, I think that, you know, you, you struggled with dyslexia and you struggled with maybe some of like the regular system and then you kind of broke out of it. So tell me a little bit about your family, your history, kind of what led up to you coming into the world. And then tell us a little bit about your, your, your you know, your growing up. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think I grew up pretty normally. I think I grew up, um, I grew up in Baruch Shema from home and I had the, all the regular um, stimulus of upbringing there were certain challenges, and first of all, I just want to start off just a deep, deep hakar satov for both of you. 
It's an honor to be in your presence. I love you both very, very much. And we're speaking about Rabonim, and I've shared this with you. I learn off you. I learn off you. There's so much wealth to learn from you. And thank you, thank you, thank you deeply. That's to start off with. So, Chaz Hashem, I have brilliant parents who helped me navigate my, you know, the terrain of my life experiences as growing up. And I would say, I mean, I was a pretty normal kid. I don't think there's anything so unique. I, I liked martial arts and I liked music and I liked doing everything that I like to be doing. There was a side of me, my, my father says to me and my grandmother used to say to me, I was born old. I was born old. My grandmother used to throw out this line, you're born an old man. What does that mean? I love history. I've always loved history. I, I'm enamored and fascinated by this reality that we're plonked here, born into this world, yet for thousands of years beforehand, there's been this unfolding history. And, you know, we have Zaydas in the 1600s. We have Zaydas and Babis in the 1200s, all the way through, unbroken chain. And I always found that really fascinating. I would look at a pigeon. I'd look at a pigeon. Whoa, that pigeon had like a mummy, a daddy, grandparents, great-grandparents. That pigeon has a lineage all the way back to now. It didn't just pop out of nowhere. And I don't know what it was, but I always found that fascinating. And I, I remember very early memories of that. I remember very early memories sitting at the park and I'm, I'm like, I don't know, playing, I'm doing something, probably causing havoc, I'm probably causing trouble somewhere. And I just stop and I'd look at a dog or I'd look at a person or I'd look at myself and there's this reality that's so much bigger than us. And here we are in our small state of consciousness when there's a whole universe in front of us. And that always fascinated me. I remember that fascinated me. I remember as well, I wanted always to know everything. I love, I love knowledge, but I love as well applied knowledge. I want, to, I want to know things. I want to know how things work. I want to know the mechanisms behind things. So I remember growing up, I found this very interesting. It's true to say, as you mentioned, I had certain challenges and I still struggle with them today. And, and one of them is dyslexia. I mean, that's really the main one which maybe even my dyslexia is an illusion today, I don't know. Um, but that definitely did not help being in a mainstream school where we are expected, as both of us know, as a whole world of us know, that you know, we have these books in front of us and we're meant to know all these books in front of us and read them and, and we're meant to be able to open something up and Gemara, Shittosus, Roshayni, Machroni. So that, that didn't go so well. Let's just say that. That didn't go so well. However, I'm thankful for it because that definitely opened up a side of me that may not have been opened. That opened up life experiences. That took me on a journey which who knows, who knows if, if I was just a mainstream without these challenges, who knows? I don't know. So the combination that's coming out right now in the moment as I speak to you, this, this combination of a thirst for knowledge, this, this, this fascination with the bigness, the bigness, hakoil, the bigness, the prat and the klau. And <clears throat> I would say my challenge as well, definitely, um, 
gave room and gave you know gave a focal point in my life as i said could be if you ask me tomorrow i may say something different i don't know but right now that's what i have to share um with my upbringing and to go into you know speaking about mentorship so my parents baruch hashem my parents baruch hashem are fantastic and my father my father's always had his rabbonim and He's had various rabbonim, but when I came into the world, uh, my father had a relationship with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and as well with the Biala Rebbe. And I was very young um, when my father had his relationship with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and that's as well a world within itself, the world of Chabad. However, the Biala Rebbe, I would suggest, the Biala Rebbe was the first Rebbe, I remember going to him age five, Biala Rebbe, Rav Ben Sion Rebbenovich, the Mavasatov. And I was just as well enamored seeing this man who I didn't, I, you know, I was, I was five. I didn't understand the whole bigger picture. What I do remember is the first time I went to the Rebbe, there was this non-from man sitting on one side, a non-from woman sitting on the other side. And for a five-year-old kid, okay, they look similar. I, 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 I guess I recognize the difference between from and not from, from the superficial perspective. And I thought they were together. And I found out that they weren't. My father started to speak to them. And there was two people going into the Rebbe. And I said, wow, okay. I chapped. I guess I chapped at that age. Oh, here you have this Rebbe who was really kind. And he spoke to me. He didn't speak down to me. He, he really asked me questions. And I remember, I must have been closer to six, but I remember it very clearly. And I remember these two people who, you know, it's like I, I said to my father, I said, why are they going to the Rebbe if they're not from? I remember asking my father, my, my father gave me a, a good answer. He gave me, you know, he, good, he gave me a good answer for what I needed. But I remember that was my first Kesha, so to speak. And then I would say deeper relationships, deeper relationships as I matured was with, in London, there was a Rav called Rav Chunahalpen who was Radha Rebbe, who was also a relative. And he was very interesting. He was very, very interesting. He was from Europe. And I met him. I really started to get closer to him from my bar mitzvah. From my bar mitzvah. And there's many stories about him. And as well, another individual in London, Rabbi Simcha Rubin, who's his relative, my mother's relative, Vasasva Rebbe. So I would say growing up growing up you know before my teenage years my father did take me to several different sadikim but sadikim who i can say that i had a relationship sadikim who i can say knew me you had the biala rebbe the sasva rebbe and rab halpen in in london the rab ruben the sasva rebbe he's related also to the rapshitzer lineage yes um the rapshitzer uh, the Rapshitz's son-in-law, his name was Reb Ushi Shai Rubin. So his lineage comes from Reb Ushi Shai. Wow. And as well, and as well, um, Reb Chuna Halpen, the Halpens, there was a grandson-in-law, the Brujana, the Svasemus of Brujan. So Reb Chuna Halpen was a descendant of Reb Ushi Shai, a descendant of the Rapshitzer as well. Wow. So how did you connect with them? Did your father introduce you to them? I, 
I don't remember. Like the honest truth is the Biala Rebbe my father introduced me to. I used to, I guess, I guess the way it happened with Reb Chuna is Reb Chuna has a shul, Reb Chuna's. He has a, he has a base on Medrash. And I used to daven there, we used to go there. My father had a chavrusa on a Sunday morning in Svasemes with an old yid, with an alt yid in London. And we used to daven shacharis. I remember because they were formative um, rummaging days. There was a Seamus outside. So I wasn't always into davening. So I used to rummage outside through the shavers and I found lots of old things. I found my first old book, a chumash from 1670, which is on the shelf somewhere here. And um, I remember I would, I, I, I would always see Reb Chuna. And I think once he stopped, once he stopped and spoke to me, and this was before my bar mitzvah already, when I was bar mitzvah, Reb Chuna, um, he gave me a sefer. Rab Chuna gave me a safe, and I remember this is when I started my diary. I have a diary, Hisaras Chuv, I think it's called. I still have it, I can't remember what it's called. Good stuff. So what happens is, it was before my bar mitzvah, and Rab Chuna gave me a Svasemis of Burjan. Not, not Ger, Burjan. I have it on my shelf behind me. And um, he wrote something inside of it. And I said to him, I said, look, I can't read it. Can you read something to me? And I remember he sat and read me a Torah. He sat and read me a Torah about Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad and how Yosef was always Matzliach because he had Hashem on his mind. I remember that was the Torah that we read and there was a couple of gematrias there. And, and I think it was from my Bar Mitzvah, really the relationship started. That's when I could remember that he gave me the Sefer as a Matana for my, my Bar Mitzvah. Then I started to speak to him. And I think it was Reb Chuna, because in our family, from my mother's side, we as well are descendants of different Sadiqim, various Sadiqim. And I think it was Reb Chuna who started to open that up. And it could also be that Reb Chuna introduced me to um, Rabbi Rubin. I do remember, though, that I think it's a little bit blurry, but when I was 12 or 13, we, we did a family tree project in school. And I think we spoke to Rabbi Rubin as well about certain stories. Um, but definitely after my bar mitzvah, definitely after my bar mitzvah, Reb Chuna said to speak as well to Rabbi, Rabbi Rubin. And that's how I started to build my Kesha, as I can consciously, consciously remember. So it was really from my bar mitzvah. Um, I, I, I don't know so many... Uh, 12 or 13 year old kids that uh, start building relationships with Rabbanim. I mean, I know, like we had, you know, we grew up on, there was a Rav Varshal and I guess maybe because he didn't speak English so well, but I really didn't have much to do with him. Like I observed him, I saw him, we said good Shabbos. Um, so how did a 12 or 13 year old kid become so, you know, start building a relationship, become interested? I mean, uh, most kids I know nowadays are more interested in, uh, you know, sports or fo or the cell phone or you know, what kind of kid were you that you started these relationships? And we talk about relationship. I, how often were you around them? And I'm just curious to open that up. So first of all, I was doing everything that I think other teenagers were doing. It's causing havoc, doing my martial arts, playing my music, listening to my music. I think... Maybe I can suggest like this, that it could be, I think for most people that there's a person or a few people who they remember fondly. Why? Because they took interest in them and they were caring. 
And I would suggest here we have two much older individuals, but they cared. They really cared. They asked after my well-being. They, you know, they, 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 they took time to read to me. They took time to tell me stories. They got me to do things as well. So, for example, when I built a relationship with Rabbi Rubin, we were pottering around in the Beis Medrash, cleaning the Beis Medrash. I think it was on a Tisha B'Av, we cleaned the mikveh. There was, they cared. If I, if I think the core, you know, the core root of what drew me to them is that they cared. And I happened to be, they had these weird and wonderful stories as well, which I was fascinated by. There, were, there was this maturity that I really appreciated that I definitely didn't have. Um, but I would say they cared if that, if I, I felt somebody who really looked out for me mm-hmm. and that drew me back. That's an unbelievable fuel. When somebody looks at you and somebody cares for you and somebody believes in you, somebody supports you, encourages you. Somebody doesn't tell you, oh, you're doing wrong, but somebody tells you you're doing right. That's good. So that was very, that was very nutritious for me. That was very energetic. And for the second part of your question, I mean, I was, dav- I was there a good few times a week. I was there a good few times a week. I mean, um, Reb, Reb Khuna, after I was by mitzvah when I was going to school, we were davening in school, but there was a center, there was a learning center. This is a couple of years later. So I had this relationship which started, you know, on a Sunday morning with Reb Khuna. And then various times during the week, I myself would go down to Rabbi Rubin. Um, I trained martial arts. There was a, there was a church in, in, in Golders Green called Hodford Road. And they had there a hall. And I would train in the hall there with a few of my chaverim martial arts. On the way back, we would go back to, sorry, Mechila Slichen Kapara. I better be careful what I say here. No, no, no. Was, we're very open. I was going to say, don't five me, but I won't say that in public. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I guess the Ramshits are, the Ramshits have started up in the morning already. I think three o'clock in the morning, the Ramshits have started. <laughs> so what would happen is we would go train martial arts with certain Chaverim, and then a few of us would go to Rabbi Rubin and would go to his house. And, you know, and then we would I'll go to the Beis HaMedrash and clean in the Beis HaMedrash a bit. Um, so I remember that's how I used to go. And that happened a couple of times a week. And then as I matured, I remember um, 14, 15, 16, I was, I was davening by Reb Chuna almost every morning. I was davening by Reb Chuna almost every morning and I was speaking to the Sasa Rebbe a number of times a week. So the relationship definitely matured. It took a leap and it definitely matured. Were you going to Were school there- at the time? Sorry. So I, were you consistently in school? Yes. But even though so you'd cons- be... I was consistently in school. I managed to turn up to most of the classes. I had very good teachers, Chazda Hashem. But you were very involved, like, with, with you know, with this, with the, like, being in these other places, being in the shuls, being in the... Yes. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that. I would take, I remember, I would take, uh, I'd go to the mikveh. And, and then Reb Chuna would come to the mikveh. So I'd go out the mikveh and I'd prepare a coffee for Reb Chuna. Um, a number of times Reb Chuna, would, <laughs> Reb Chuna would come into the mikveh. My teeth, my teeth. <laughs> you sometimes would forget to put it back. How old was he around this time? 
slow motion. I see you. And he, I mean, he died. Reb Chuna died in his 90s. He was 93. Um, and I guess he was in his 60s, 70s. No, 70s. He must have been in his 70s. 70s, 80s, 90s, something like that in his 70s. Um, but he, he, he was in his 70s. And if you spoke his language, which I naturally did, I naturally did, I enjoyed Masora, I enjoyed stories, I enjoyed songs. Um, he answered me, he answered me. He, like, I remember, and, and plus I got to shul very early. I always like getting up early. I like the early hours of the day. So I'd be, he'd give a dafyomi at five, I think it was five in the morning. I would be in shul quarter to five. I'd be there quarter to five in the morning. I'd get mikveh. Um, I'd get his coffee ready, his drink. I would sometimes prepare him a drink. And I would ask him a question. You know, Rabbi, I just read about mojits. Please, can you share with me a mojits anigun? And he would take my hands. And sometimes he would dance with me. I was like, wow, he would sing in mojits anigun. Or would speak about ropshits. Or would speak about certain sfarim. And he answered me. He answered me. Um, Rabbi Simcha Rubin as well would tell me stories. And I, I don't think they're so interested in the martial arts and the guitar. Um, you know, I, I, like, I like my uh, music, drums, and, and I was into my music and my Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and things like that. I don't think they were so interested in that. However, the other side of my life, they were interested. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's so interesting. I want to go back to something you said earlier about how, uh, how we're not just here now, but we're part of a big flow of history. And I feel like that's something that's maybe that's one of the things that always drew me to you. And as I always saw you as somebody who like any of our conversations were, were, were much bigger in scope. Like I I also, I, I absolutely love history. And I love being aware of uh, where we are, not just right now in this lifetime, but where we are as a Jewish people in history and where we are as in, the world, in the world at large. So, so, so my question is, I guess, I guess what, what, the way you're describing is by connecting to, to, to you naturally had an inclination for that, and also by connecting to to these people who had a Masora, who gave you a sense of history and stories and background, and and you were and, and kind of led you into even more into this place of recognizing, as a Jew, that we're not just here now; that we're part of a part of a chain. So, who did they connect you to? You know, so when when did they tell you about their mentors? So, Reb Chuna was an anical from a number of tzaddikim and Reb Chuna himself loved history. He loved Jewish history. I, I happen to love secular history as well. I love Jewish history, but I'm, I, I love global history. I love world history, universal history. And um, again, I am enamored by it. I'm taken by it. And with, with for example, Reb Chuna, he came from unbelievable yichus. He's a Rav Shmuel Reb Shmuel Engel was his grandfather. He's um, a divrei chaim, enikol. He, he was connected to a number of tzaddikim, and he was born in Europe. He wasn't born in Eretz Yisrael. He was born in Kashau. So he himself was incredibly connected to Messiah and history from a young age. 
he never missed during the war days. He never missed mikveh, for example. He was very makpid on hanhagas and minhagim, very makpid on kedusha, very makpid on growth. And it was unbelievable to speak to him because a lot of people I spoke to, he met. He, you know, he, he was in touch, I think, age 14. He wrote a letter to the Rogachava. And the Heiliger Rogachava wrote back, I think it starts off Hagoin Hagodl. And he's, he's 14 years old. The Rogachava, wow. who everybody knows. The Rogachava would call people whatever they, they, they would call, you know, he would call them. Um, and, and he met a lot of these people that I was reading about at this age in my books, in my Sfarim, the storybooks. He, and, and plus, because he's from Europe, he's coming from a different world. It's a very different world, Europe, pre-Europe pre and post-Europe, a very different world. You know, we, I, I hear very often, oh, it's the old world and, and we should let go of it. You know what? If we lived with some of their values now, people would be far happier. People would be far healthier. And we can't forget. We can't forget. We, we want to be drawing some of that Kedusha and, and some of that basic lifestyle into our life, the important things in life. And for, for, for Abkhuna, I saw that. I saw that. For the Sasvareber, I saw that. They, they were pre-war. So they had their Rabbonim, Rab Shmuel Engel, and their Rebbers, and the Shatz Rebbe in London, who was a giant. And, and he himself was a giant. So there was this very, very deep, deep, rich connection to the pre-war world of Europe. And Reb Chunna definitely had that. And he wrote, you know, he's got a safe of, of, of three volumes of all the tzaddikim he was in touch with. And it's unbelievable to read because you're reading about what we call mystical legends today. And there he was serving them, speaking to them, learning from them. Rabbi Simcha Rubin as well had a very rich Messiah. He was, he was a Belzer Enochal, and, you know, a Ropshitzer Enochal, and, and many others. And... I would say that Reb, the Sasva Rebbe was quite uh, about the history, but when I spoke to him, um, he did speak about it. But the thing is, he was history. He was it. He, he was chesed. He was, I remember going into, I mean, there's lots of weird stories with him. So I remember once I, I took my- We love drive. weird stories. I took my driving test. I mean, it's not such a weird story. I shouldn't say that. It's, it's a good story, but I love the weird ones as well. So I took my driving test and I had my driving test. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. So I spoke to the Sasvareba and the Sasvareba said to me, pick me up at four. And I said, Rebbe, I didn't pass my driving test yet. And I have to ask my Abba if I can use the car. So, he, you know, he says, pick me up at four. So <laughs> I passed my driving test. What's the first thing I'm doing when I, when I pass my driving test? I went to Sasvareba, I picked him up. And we dropped off envelopes of money in people's, uh, you know, running and dropping off envelopes of people's money. And I think this happened that week at like three o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. He told me to come pick him up and we, it, we, we're dropping off envelopes and he's an older man and he runs and obviously he couldn't get the envelope in the post box in the hole, which is in the house. And he's like, I'm bending over to get it in. And then the person in the house, 
hears some movement downstairs. So the light goes on, looks out, goes, hello, hello. And then he runs back to the car and he goes, you're doing the next one. <laughs> so, That's fantastic. I have a lot of interesting vices like that going all the way through. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. So I know that you also, your family, you come from a very eclectic uh, mix of different backgrounds and yichos. Um, and I know that you, I'm, I'm, did your, your father, I'm sure, gave that over to you as a child. And, and did, was it your father first who instilled in you that sense of history and uh, where you come from? I think, first of all, I, it was my father's father. I'm very similar to my father's father. My grandfather, I'm very similar to him. He was a genius. Um, and I would say the genius is less important to the fact that he was so deeply caring and loving for all of humanity. He had this enveloping love that nothing was left out. And he just loved reality. And he, he knew, I mean, in my opinion, he knew everything. Um, he had a photographic memory. He used to buy encyclopedias and just go through them and eat them up. Um, history is, he, he was amazing. Politics, history, sciences, arts. He was an artist and he was an engineer. Um, he was a cobbler. He, 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 unbelievable human being. And he, I remember growing up, used to tell me stories about his father and his grandfather who was a tzaddik. His father was a tzaddik about my grandmother's father my his father-in-law who's a tzaddik and I, I i grew up with this unbelievable emphasis on recognizing your roots if you want to know who you are there's only so far you can go without knowing where you've come from and if you know where you want to go recognize where you've come from because history repeats itself and he, my grandfather, really started me on this journey when I was a very young age, from a very young age, telling me stories about his father, his grandfather, about his father-in-law, and the different Masaras from that side of the family. Where did and he then, grow up? So my grandfather was born in Edirne, which is near Turkey, and, uh, and it's near the Balkan. And when he was about 12 or 13, 14, I'm not sure specifically of the ages, they changed in the stories when he told them over. Him and his brother and his two sisters left Edirna to come to Eretz Yisrael. And basically they left their parents and they walked. They walked from, you know, from their place of origin, Edirna, to Eretz Yisrael. And the richness of that lineage, my grandfather, the Gersey side, goes back. We, the first story we have in our family from the Gersey side goes back to Shabtai, Mr. Shabtai Svi, the troublemaker, um, where my ancestor who lived in Izmir, there were Ashkenazim living in Turkey. There was a very, there was a polyglot of nations in Turkey. There was Ashkenazim and Svadim. They were Ashkenazim and Reb Shabtai, uh, Shabtai was trying to get my great-great-great-great-grandfather of Shlomo Gazi to be on his side. And basically he ran away and he ran to Adirna. That's how they got to Adirna. So they were in Adirna for a number of generations. And they were the chief rabbis of Adirna and they were people of the community. They gave, they gave in every respect. That's the first story that we have. We have a couple of other stories from that time period as well. But all the way through there's jumps, but basically there's an unbroken chain of Rabonim, unbroken chain of businessmen, 
It's a beautiful thing. Again, this is something that, as you know, I'm very passionate about. And that is the baseline of living a balanced life, having this rhythm and balance of life, which includes not just Torah learning, it includes as well, you know, if Gemara tells us, yeah, what, okay, I'm not going into Torahs now, but the Nakuda is, is that there was this richness, there was this richness of balance. They were Rabbonim. I think I'm 40, I'm 48th generation of being a rabbi. I didn't plan to be a rabbi. Didn't necessarily want to be a rabbi. But I'm 48th generation of um, of having smicha. My father, my grandfather was the only one that didn't have smicha. But from there, there's 48 generations. That's a long time. I'm proud of that. And what, they were, what year does that go back to? It goes back a long time. That's a very long, a long time. time. It goes back over 500 years, spanning over 500 years. They as well were businessmen, so they didn't. They weren't just in the ruchnius; they were in the gashmius as well. They were businessmen. Um, they were poskim. They were makublim. There's a story. I'll give you one example. My great 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 grandfather. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak Gerzi. Rabbi Yitzchak Gerzi, his father was Rabbi Shlomo Gerzi, who my grandfather met. He was one of twelve brothers, and one sister. 12 brothers and one sister. And in Edirna, they had a cheese and wine factory. They sold cheese and wine. And because they were such a Choshva family in the area where they came from, people would buy cheese and wine from them and they were very wealthy. And what they would do is they would break off. One person would sit and learn the whole year and everybody else would support that person. And they would rotate every 12 years. Every single one of them had a full half day learning. So they were learning a full half day. And they would, everybody would chip in. There was such a strong achdus. There was such a strong family achdus. And this was so important to them that there was love and harmony with the extended family. So they were, they were wealthy. They were wealthy. No one was left out financially. And they were Isaac deeply in learning. Nigla, Nista, Paiskim. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. I try, I try my best to express that in my life, in my Daladamais. And as well, we, with my brothers, we try, to, we try to live like that to the best of our ability. Wow. It's interesting. In growing up, I was the, uh, I'm the youngest in my family. But I, I never met any of my grandparents. I'm named after the, the fourth of the grandparents to pass away. And I remember at a very young age, I must have, you know, sixth, seventh grade, writing, writing, you know, like an English, you know, paper in school. And I wrote about like self-confidence. And I felt, and I was, I remember writing about how like self-confidence comes and, and self-esteem comes from knowing where you are. You know, I remember reading about how in Europe it was like, you know, if you were a shoemaker, you're a shoemaker for a few generations. You knew who you were because you knew where you came from and what, what you were connected to. And I felt that I maybe lacked that, you know, lacked that, 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 that Masora, even though we have a beautiful Masora. And I, I definitely have learned about it more over the years. But I, I felt that, you know, I didn't know about it. And obviously, I cherish it now. I talk to, you know, a lot of family members getting the stories about our Zaydas and Babas and things like that. How, I, I, you know, it's interesting I, we, I also transplanted, and so now here we are living in Ramat Beit Shemesh. And many times when we're in these new communities, as immigrants, you, you don't really necessarily have that, the community where you have the old people, the middle people, the young people, and there's this integration of where, where the young ones grow up seeing 
the past generations and seeing that ishtalshalus. How do you give that to your kids and your family in a way that they can also kind of live with this appreciation for, for the multi-generational aspect and fitting into history? Amazing question. When you've both figured that out, let me know. <laughs> I mean, you must do something. I'm saying... I, I mean, I find it, I find it, it's difficult. It's not poshut. I don't believe it's poshut. The upbringing that I had, my kids haven't had. Um, they don't see, I mean, they knew their great-grandparents. My Baruch Hashem, they knew my great-grandparents. They knew their great-grandparents, apart from the youngest ones. So my eldest kids have that. They saw their great-grandparents. They saw my great their great-grandmother and great-grandfather. I was like, I saw some of my great-grandparents. I, my parents come, my in-laws come. I think that grandparents, if possible, to, to spend time, I, I believe that's very, very important. And if you don't have the grandparents, you have to find some, I believe, again, this is just Joshua Gersi speaking, could be his nonsense, but I believe it's important to see old people and to meet with old people and to spend time with old people. I believe that. And I myself, I would go to old age homes. I grew up, I would go to old age homes in an Arab's Yisrael. I would go to old age homes out here. You know, it's an unbelievable thing. Now it's a slightly different world. In the last 15 years, a lot has changed in regards to a previous generation and a generation today. 15 years ago, you had people who were from the previous generation in their 90s who were still very lucid. So I, I, I remember, you know, I would hear stories um, of a Talmud of this Sadiq or a Talmud of this Sadiq and they were stuck in an old age home somewhere and you'd go speak to them oh it was Mechai Mason for them There's, there, was, there was an old man who, who was a Talmud of the Jikafa, Rabbi Shuami Jikaf who was in Bet Shemesh and I spoke to one of the Jikafa Enakul in America it could even be it was a Jikafa ever here in Eretz Yisrael and he said, you know, there's, a, there's an old Yid who is in Bet Shemesh in the old age home. And I ran to meet him and he told me wild stories. So I believe very deeply if we don't have our grandparents in our lives, find, find old people. Spend time with old people. It may sound strange to us, but there's a richness. There's a richness, even if they're not a tzaddik. They don't have to be a tzaddik. One of my Rabbonim told me, you don't have to find the biggest Rebbe in the world as a Rebbe. You don't need that. Find somebody who's a mensch. Find somebody who's got Messiah, Talmud Chochem. They don't have to be the, the biggest Rebbe in the world. And, and I speak to so many people today, and I believe they're missing that, and it's causing them harm. People speak about G'day Latayra. But just find an old person in Mesharim. Find an old person in Yerushalayim, in Bet Shemesh. They're old people around, older than you, in their 60s or 70s. They're still Talmidim today of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, of Rabbi Shabbat Soloveitchik, of the different Rebbers, the Ger Rebbe and the Vishnitsa Rebbers. They're still Tzadikim who are not necessarily Tzadikim of such high and known caliber. But they were around Sadiqim, and those Sadiqim who they were around were around Sadiqim. And I think there's a richness for that. Adopt a lifestyle where that's included and not left out in our life. So we can see, you know, I'll I tell you a story. I'll tell you a few, can I share with you a story? Yeah. So in America, 
in America, there was a, a friend of mine. I haven't been in touch with him actually for a very long time. I met him many years ago, the first time I went to America. And he, their Gera, their Gera Hasidim, and his family, who's now Nifta, was a Holocaust survivor. And I met his father, and his father's, uh, you know, Gera, Gibor, like stubborn, strong, and, and, very very matter of fact very real in where they are and what their opinions are businessmen and he must have been when i met him in his 80s and i was giving a zoom class to america from israel and there was a group of you know there was a group we we're talking in the arabia Saidus of guidance and they said listen in the secular world we have guidance we have our professors we have our teachers None of us have grandparents. You know, all, all, it happened to be, I was speaking to five people from this group. And those five people, none of them had grandparents. They all died in the Holocaust. They have their parents and they didn't have grandparents. So I thought to myself, okay, let's do something. They as well were not from, they weren't from. So what happens is that I send them to this Zayda, this Gera Chosid Zayda. And they took their lunch and I called everyone up, it was Masada, and they went to his store. He had a store, I think they sold electrics or lights and he went to a store. And I'm not going to go into all the stories, but he would tell over stories about, you know, people breaking into his store and what he did. One time somebody broke into my store and I punched him one. And he would just tell over these funny stories, not even about Yiddishkeit. There were these funny stories about just occurrences that happened to him. And he had an old-fashioned relationship with his wife, and his wife would come in, Ah, oh, what do you want from me now? Leave me alone. You have to take your medicine. I don't want to take my medicine. No, take your medicine. Let me die. You drive me mad. And there was this old-time relationship. And when I heard about it, when I heard about them going and the occurrences and the stories, I got a little bit panicked. I said, Oi, vai, I hope I did the right thing. Because, you know, like you see somebody and, and my, first, my first thought was, Oi, maybe, maybe they're going to be put off because of the relationship between him and his wife. Even though they love each other, they just have this old time relationship, matter of fact. And he's making fun of her and she's making fun of him. I'm like, Oi. And, and maybe the stories weren't, weren't of a proper nature and they got offended. And it was an amazing, I got an amazing response because out of those people, usually people go to Kirov events and four of those five became fruit because of him. And they became from just because of his authenticity. They became from just because he was him and they, they saw this simplicity of life. You know, after he's telling his wife, be quiet, leave me alone, let me die. This morbid, this darkness, this humor. He would say, ah, Shalom Bayes is the most important thing in the world. And then, <laughs> but they, four of those five became from. And I don't know if they would have been from if they went the normal rate, wrote of seeing, you know, the Kirov Rabbi perfectly in tune with his wife and all the beautiful Kindle around the table singing their songs and, and helping at the dishes, you know. So I think there's a reality check of connecting to the previous generation. There's that wealth of information. There's that simplicity and there's that depth and they know what's important. You know, they know what's important and they're giborim. 
You're talking about, we're lacking this today. Everybody inside has a hero and a warrior. Everybody has inside of them a hero and a warrior. And for most people, that hero and that warrior is dormant. In the previous generation, that hero and that warrior was accented. Well, it was forced to come out because of the situations that they lived in. 100%, yes. Nevertheless, it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's been coming out a little bit recently, um, you know, with the whole coronavirus thing, where you see suddenly simple people that are, that are dealing with things that are there for others, you know, health, healthcare people and, 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 you know, people of service are suddenly so appreciated in a world where everything was just about comfort and, you know, and then suddenly like something real hit the world that brought uh, a certain heaviness, but it also, it had a weight, you know, kavod is from kaved, like there's a certain weight that comes and suddenly people Re- have a new new way of evaluating things um and I'm, I'm i'm enjoying so much hearing some of the things that you're saying and it and it's hitting me and I, i'm resonating so deeply with it with what's going on right now with what's going on right now i'm moved to tears daily i sit there just crying because of the chesed that's going on it's even though it's uncomfortable and painful and i'm speaking to friends in america and trying to comfort them you know a person who's in quarantine and can't sit shiver because they've just lost their father they, they're sitting shiver by themselves to speak to them and comfort them it, the, the chesed is absolutely profound and kolakavod to humanity right now to humanity it's like you see everything that's going on note that down you note that down it's unbelievable what's going on unbelievable you know back to um what we we're talking about before about how to give over to our children um the feeling of the previous generation i know for for me for us you know like Yehuda said before moving away from the states so we're not really around our parents all the time and thank god our parents do have over the past number of years been coming here for most of the time for pesach and and sukkah so at those uh you know it's critical yamim tovim time which is like such a big time to give over they've been around um but one thing that we've done is uh is just stories and i feel like that's such an uh, an awesome way to to teach kids like i know something that i've done for years my kids are getting a little older so i don't read to them as much but i still do but for years uh from when they were little i would read to them every night i would read to them mostly jewish stories real ones you know stories of rabbis stories of tzaddikim but also just stories of of heroes i mentioned in a different podcast some of my favorite books were about people from previous generation like uh like All for the Boss, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman, who was a real person in a real family, and it was written by his daughter growing up in America. And, and being real heroes, um, Rabbi Ari Levine, uh, you know, the book about Rabbi Ari Levine, Tzadik in Our Time. Um, and, and, um, and then we'd go out, go out and meet, and there's people in, in our neighborhood who are, you know, grandchildren or great-grandchildren, and we'd meet these people. And, uh, and those stories also... Maybe it's not the same, and it's you know it's nowhere near the same as actually meeting people and hearing the stories from them. But it also does something really important, and maybe that's a way that people who 
don't necessarily have the ability to go and connect to older people. And it's not always so simple, but maybe that's a great way to give over to our kids a sense of history, a sense of where we're from, a sense of the heroicness of the Jewish people of the previous generations. I, I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on, Rabbi Yaakov, that stories, I believe stories are very, very, very important. And I try my best, especially stories. I, I think I mentioned, I'm, I've, I think I've mentioned to you before, there was a number of stories that my father would tell over that I realized in later years were about him. And the Pilsner Rav, Rabbi Singer, used to tell over stories about the right to Chassid, the red-haired Chassid. And one of his daughters, and always, ah, oh, you know what happened to the right to Chassid? You know what happened to the red-haired Chassid, the ginger Chassid? And years later, through recognizing the stories that were told over and certain events that took place, Zaidi, the Pilsner Rav, Rabbi Singer, was telling over stories about himself. And... I remember one of, one of the tzaddikim, he said, sometimes it's worth doing a mitzvah just to tell over the story to your kids. It's worth doing a mitzvah. It's worth doing a maizam. It's worth doing maizam toivim so you can tell over the story to your kids. You know what I did today? Oh, I did this and this and this. And I remember, you know, I remember my father would, would always tell us stories. And my grandfather, oh, he was a story. And I, I think this is something so important that you're sharing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to reaffirm that within me. Thank you very, very much. Stories are very important. Whenever you can tell a story, tell it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm very excited that you just mentioned Zaidi of Singer because that is someone that I've been waiting to, I've been waiting to get into that this whole time. We've talked about you growing up and I'm, I, and I'm, and Zaidi, I've heard from you, Rav Singer lived in New York in the Lower East Side, correct? Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about how you connected to him and how you ended up calling him Zaidi? Okay. Okay. Maybe we can go back a little bit first. When speaking about Rab Khuna and Rab Simcha Rubin, Rabbi Rubin, the word tzaddik doesn't necessarily come up for me. They were people who were in my life. I look at them now as tzaddikim. They were people in my life that I grew up with. They were my rabbonim, they were rabbis, my mentors. I think I was about 14 years old. And my father went to get a bracha from a very, very young individual. Today he's got, he's white. But when I met him, he was had a black beard he had like a gingery brown black beard and i walked into his room and he smashed me to pieces spiritually like what the heck just happened here sort of experience and i don't know where i was catapulted so i was this 14 year old i walk into this 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 room and there's this i, I obviously it's not a real light but i felt this light when you speak about light I, I just felt something, this cheeky little grin, this smile, and, and my kishkas were blown to six. I would say that's probably one of the first experiences of meeting a tzaddik. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak Mer Morgenstern. And I remember that that was, uh, it was in London, Pesach time. Um, Rabbi Yitzchak Mer goes to London, Rav Morgenstern goes to London. He would spend many years going to London to his mother for Pesach. And that that had an effect on me that had how old was he then 
must have been in his 40s. Wow. He's now, how old is Rabbi Yitzchak Mermorgenstern now? In his 50, 50s, 60, maybe late, mid, mid 50s? Yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe he's mid older than that, though. Maybe it's mid 50s, maybe. So it must have been in his 30s, 40s. I was, I was wow. 20 years different, I guess. And that was like mikvah. That was like mikvah and Yom Kippur all in one go. I felt it. And I never felt something like that before. I never had that sort of experience. And Baruch Shem, I was able to speak to him. It was the first time I got to speak to him. And there was other individuals who I met as well. Reb Moshe Shapira would come to London in the summer. So he's another individual I met. And I felt awe. I was like, whoa. Like there was awe. Rabbi Yitzchak Meir was something different. It wasn't, it wasn't at all. It was like, uh, the best way I could explain it is like, what the heck just happened here? That, that's, that's like what I, what I tell my kids. What was that? And that was something that I experienced and it did something to me. It, it, awoken, it awoke something in me, which again, that's the Aveda of the Tzadikim. You have tzaddikim that don't have to say anything, even though uh, even though Yitzchak Memogrusha doesn't stop, he goes and goes and goes. There's as well this silence behind everything that's going on in his life. There's this silence. There's this there's this there's this childlike smile on his face, and he's just he's just alive. And um, I just have one story about him that also just to maybe flesh it out a little. Um, Maybe like 15 years ago, I was in uh, I was in Ezra's Torah in his neighborhood for Shavuos, and so Shavuos night I was going around to different shows looking for something interesting, and I ended up in his base medrash, and was, you know two three in the morning, and there was a couple of of Farshluf and the guys like learning, and this it was very quiet, and then I looked in the in the Ezra's Nashim, it was like windows, and there was a Rich Meyer, all dressed in white, his face is shining like shining, and he's sweating, and he's learning, and then all of a sudden. He just jumped up. He runs into the other room and he just grabs everybody up. We all start dancing, dancing, wild dancing, for you know, for a good few minutes, dancing and running around the room. Not not like not like Fashlufner, running around the room, singing. The energy in his face was gleaming and shining, and and he stopped and he went back to learn. And then maybe another 10, 15 minutes later, again he jumped up and got everyone up and started running around the room again. And it was it was an awesome experience. I didn't also it was like. What is going on here? I don't understand, but this is amazing. I thank Rabbeinu Shalaylam that he planted a Rabbi Yitzchak Morgenstern in our generation. Shkayach Hashem, Shkayach Bayraylam. Baruch Hashem. So let's go forward now. So what happens is that I always had this experience in the recesses of my consciousness. And when I was in Yeshiva, when I was in Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, there was a, a, a beautiful tzaddik called Reb Shmuli Braun, Reb Shmuel Braun, who is the grandson of Rabbi Singer. And we sometimes played music together and, and we spent time together and he would tell me about his grandfather. He says, you know, you have to speak to my Zaidi. I've just, you have to speak to my Zaidi. And he would tell me about his Zaidi, how he would put his shoes on. And, and there was something just in the way of how he was speaking about his grandfather that already woke something up. It, it, it did something. And I remember it was Pesach time before I got married. 
I think it was Pesach time, just before I got married, I had my first conversation with Rabbi Singer. Picked up the phone and I called him and I had a couple of questions and I didn't even ask my questions. I prepared the questions in order to have something to speak about. And I, I, it was, I heard this voice and this voice awoke, awoke something in me. And it was the same sort of feeling that I felt with Harav Morgenstern. It was that same sort of like, whoa, okay. And I really started to develop my relationship with him just after I got married. And I would first speak to him very often. I'd call him on the telephone, ask him Shilas. And I heard this childlike voice. And he'd already had two strokes. So it was difficult to hear, hear him speak. And, and he had other medical issues. So it wasn't so clear. And I prepared myself. However, Baksham, I managed. And I had questions. And he answered them not just adequately. He answered them with tact with sensitivity, with depth, always wanting to know the context. He never just gave me, oh, but always wanted to know what's a little bit of the context that's going on here so we could really give the correct answer for the Shaila. And this care was unbelievable. And then there was a chasna of a friend of mine, and I looked at this as an opportunity, let's go to America. And that's when I went to America, and Chazda Hashem, by the grace of God, I managed to spend time with Rabbi Singer. Um, I first met him at one of his grandchildren's opshering, who now is, is, we know him, you know, one of the glass boys. And he, and he just shone. I went into the table, I sat there, my wife and I, my wife was with me. And both of us just looked at each other and we started to cry. I can't explain why, we just started to cry. We felt as if it was Yom Kippur. And... As I got to speak to him more in his beautiful, simple way, you know, today we lack, on a certain respect, um, what we call it? We spoke about it once, Rabbi Yaakov, how not, not, not tact, there's another subtlety. word, subtlety. And this subtlety, he, he, he just was like a master at subtlety. He just knew. And for me, I felt as if I was standing in front of, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu. I felt as if I was standing in front of Moshiach. I, I can imagine the love that he had. And again, this was something that was unbelievable. One of the, like a couple of the first stories he told me about the Baal Shem Tov, I recognized was his whole life. And plus, only when I started to speak to him, I realized how many frustrations I had within me. And he did an amazing thing. He answered a question. And as we were speaking and he was answering a question, it's as if he was zapping a frustration. So he was we were talking, something deep would come up inside of me about what we were speaking about. And as he would answer, the answer was like a melting away of that frustration. An amazing thing. And he opened up a world for me and he introduced me to different sadikim, which today I'm trying to share with people, trying to share it with myself. I'm a little bit thick and it takes me 20 odd years. Other people seem to be getting it a lot quicker. And the point is, is that I'm sharing it with myself. I'm sharing it with others. And he gave a derech and that was definitely part of the journey as well, that I, I 
when I met, I'd been through hundreds of Sifrei Hasidus, all the classic Hasidic texts I, I went through, Tanya and, and Lakutei Maharan and, and all the Sfarim al Hatira, hundreds of them. I started to learn Sifrei Kabbalah, the Arizal, and, and, and I was learning Halacha, I did Smicha and Nida and Yeradea. I was learning, I was in Kailal at this point in my life. And I was working as well and I was studying and I recognized that I had this underlying frustration and that it, that is the experience all this forum is speaking about Aveda and states and and uh, you know ways derachim and I felt even though I'd been around these people and they helped tremendously in many areas in my life and I saw by them a derach when I'm reading this forum to my life it experience there was a disconnect there were words on pages and are we just a brain on a stem or is there meant to be a derech is there meant to be a way to take the words on a page and then have a science a methodology to live it and apart from his warmth and kindness and wisdom that's definitely connected, as I said, to the first couple of stories he told over about the Baal Shem Tov, he started to give a mahalach. And the mahalach took the words from the pages of the old priest books that I'd been learning. And he gave them life. He animated them with a scientific mythology and methodology in Avedis Hashem, which is not just specific for this sort of Jew or that sort of Jew. It was universal. He showed the architecture of the soul, how the human being works. And he brought to life Shas. He brought to life Torah. And, and as I went further, he introduced me to different Sadiqim in America. They just added and added and added to this. They made clearer what Rabbi Singer originally shared with me. So it was a very powerful experience, and it was a, until he was nifta a long a long term um, relationship. So you you only met him after you got married. That's correct. I and spoke. So you... I spoke to him on the phone before I got married, and I had a about a year phone relationship, and then I was able to meet Rabbi Singer in person. How much so when you? How much time did you end up spending with him in person? How, how long were you in America for? I went a few times. So all in all, I, I think I met, I met him and spent time with him in person about five times. But you um, were but, there for a little while. Yes. So what happened is the first time I went, I was there for a couple of weeks. And then the times after, I was, I was with him the whole time. And I went by myself. And, I spent three weeks at a time. And, and so you left your wife behind, like this is old school Hasidic style. You left your wife behind for weeks at a time to be by the Rebbe. I guess so. You think people are missing out on that these days? Like this? One can get told off for giving honest answers, my friends. Um, I, I think there is, I, I, I think yes, on a certain respect, on a certain respect, yes. But maybe it's not the place and time today to do this. So even though there's a sad to say, yes, I think it's healthy to do, I would still do it today with the permission of my wife. And I have done well, it. I've done it if there's different sadiqim. So 
Rabbi Singer was one of my mentors. He was one of my mentors. And I had, obviously, I, as several other mentors. And there's times where I would go and I would leave and I wouldn't come back till the next day. As long as it's okay with my wife. She's the boss. You know, they say the man, the Gemara says the man's meant to be the boss. Dain Lopian, one of my other Rabbonim in London, he was, I didn't mention him and I should have mentioned him. Dain Lopian was in London when, just before I got married, he was my Halacha Rebbe. That Mamish, he was a Talmud of Rab Moshe, Rab Shlomo Zalman. He got he was a Adam Gadol, Dain Lopian, Gershon Lopian. So I remember he said on the Gemara, ah, you know the Gemara says the man has to wear the trousers. That's Chazal's sense of humor. So as long as it's okay with my wife, as long as my wife is okay, alles geht. Right. Well, we do have a little bit of a sense of sometimes going away on a trip. You know, like uh, Uman. I mean, who did- Mean who to go to Uman, yeah, and but it's it's not the same as going to a, a live rebbe. But I think when we go to Uman, we definitely meet up with a lot of older Hasidim, and we connect to we connect to people who have messiahs over there. So it is in a sense, you know, going away and reconnecting to tzaddikim. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that uh, there's a lot of nasias that 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 we that we do do. I mean, I've gone with you, Rebbe. I have to also bring up, you, you know. A lot of people might go and and even take the advice that you're suggesting, and 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 go and meet with with older people, but you have a very unique way of doing it and being able to elicit. Um, you say that when you hear these different tzaddikim, you see you hear the childness in them. I personally have been witness to seeing how you elicit that childlike, awesome energy from people. Um, if I could just, if you remember, we. We went together. I'll tell you, this was actually the first time that I really connected to you. Um, I had come to Eretz Yisrael a little while before. We actually, I was working with Yaakov in a little apartment near near the Rebbe's uh, shul, and and we, Yaakov told me he's like, oh, Rabbi Gerzi, he's you know, Gavalt, and we had coffee together a few times. I was beginning, you know, you were an interesting new, like I, I didn't get you at all. I still don't, um, and. And, but then, then we were going, my brother came to, to check out, you know, Eretz Yisrael to see, you know, how it could come. It was, a, you know, one of those, um, pilot spying, trip. Uh, a pilot trip, spying trip. Um, and, and, and he said, okay, we you know, we're going to go to B'nai Brak to go visit some tzaddikim. And, and we said, would you be interested in coming? And you just hopped in the car and that was it. We were on this amazing, that was the first Nasiya that I did with you. And we went. And we went to, first we, we had a list of tzaddikim. And as soon as some of those tzaddikim, gedolim, didn't work out, some, you know, sometimes it didn't always work out. You're like, well, you know what? I, I couldn't bring you to here, at the there. And we ended up going in and we met with the, the old Bahusha Rebetzin. And, and, but just seeing the way that, that you interacted with them and the way that you were able to be so authentic and so open and so curious, but in a way that, that opened them up and it loosened the bonds. And we, and I was there, I was like, this is incredible. Like, how do you just open these people up to hear the stories and to, and to connect to them? So I want to ask you, maybe you can share with us, how do you do that? How do you, or how can, can we open that up to be able to talk to people and, and come up with such a curious and such an openness that helps them to open up and, 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 you know, and, and be willing to share and teach and, so first of all, I'll just say to you, don't get me. Baruch Hashem, I'm Zoycha Tumakayim, Lukute Maran, Tinyana, Nun, Base. Chazda Hashem, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a very big praise. 
You know the term I'm speaking about? Tinyana, no. where Rabbi Nachman says, if we get God, if we get the Bara Eilav, he's not worth serving. There's a, there's a, a mystery. And as well, Rabbi Nachman writes about the tzaddikim that, and I think this is a very big issue. I think this is a very, this is very real. Tinyana Nun base is a very important taira. The Rabbi Nachman tells us that we want everything to fit. <coughs> we want everything to fit. We want the tzaddik to look a certain way. We want our rabbonim to look a certain way. We want people to look a certain way. And I think, you know, just Yoshua Gerzi thinking about this, this Torah for many years, it doesn't work like that. People are people. Everyone is mysterious. The truth is we don't get anyone. We think we get people. You two, you're like unbelievable, deep, amplified, expansive worlds. There's so much to you. There's so much going on within you. You're both mysterious. You're both mystical. You have this in you. And I think what Rabbi Nachman is sharing with us is let go. Don't control. Let go. We can't control. Just be with the relationship in the present moment. Exit your mind. Enter the present moment. So Tinyana, the Tinyana Nun, Tinyana Nun base. Ah, Baruch Hashem. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just try to be, I just try to turn up. I try to turn up. I'm authentically interested. I really am interested. And when I sit before somebody, it's a whole world. It's a whole world. When I, when I sit before anybody and I daven, I daven, I daven to the Baira Olam. I say, Hashem is Baruch Nu, give me the Kayach to take each person that I meet and, and just let me see their magic. Let me, let me connect to their mystery. There's no such thing as a human being that's not magical, that's not majestic, that, that doesn't have that mystery. And we fall into our expectations and our assumptions. We fall into things should be like this and things should be like that. And we miss the boat. We miss the boat. So I daven, I daven to the Rabbana Shalaylam that I could be curious. I can ask. I, I learned from my teachers, do a lot more listening than speaking. Happens to be I have a big mouth, so I speak a lot as well. But do a lot more listening than speaking. And I try my best to makind that. Listen to the person in front of you. They have, they have, they have mamish wisdom to share with you. And, and then I could take that wisdom and hopefully become inspired and live better, become a better husband, become a better parent become a better Evet Hashem. Hashem. I don't know if that answers your question adequately, but that's what I have to share with you right now. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's something I've definitely picked up from you is is uh that over, I've seen I've seen you interact with people and you you ask leading questions and then you really listen. And that's one of the reasons that I love I love spending time with you is because you you really do listen. And when when you're around someone who really listens and you, f you feel that sincerity that this person's really interested, it opens you up and you actually want to say things and you actually want to talk about things. And it's awesome. And I, I picked, it, like, and I've seen it and I've tried it out. I've experimented with it. It's a lot of fun to experiment with. Like even in, even in taxis, if you, if you run into an older taxi driver and I've asked people, oh, where are you from? Where are your parents from? What was life? You know, just recently, a few weeks ago, I, an older uh, Moroccan taxi driver, and I got great stories out of him about life in the old country and what it was like to be a Jew in Morocco. 
was, it was awesome. It was just, and it was, it was like, uh, with your template, just ask a question, be genuinely interested and people just might open up to you. So I saw this, I saw this first as an Aveda. And I, I want to tell you that I fail miserably sometimes as well. Sometimes I get caught up in my own ego, obviously. I, I'm, you know, no one's perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. I remember seeing Rabbi Singer, one, one event that um, really changed me. I remember there was a lady, I think she was a nurse, and she was having a lot of issues, and she came in, and she spoke for a very, very long time to Rabbi Singer. And Rabbi Singer didn't say much. In fact, he remained quiet most of the time, but he was listening, he was engaged, he was so present. And when she walked out, she says, oh, okay, amazing, I have all the answers, everything is, is done, everything is done. And I was like, you spoke the whole time. You just talked and talked and talked. And any time Rabbi Singer wanted even to say something, you didn't let him speak, you spoke. And you're telling me that you got all the answers? And I ran into Rabbi Singer and I said, Mustisti, what are you doing? What are you doing? How? What? And I remember he, he said to me, he said that when you really listen, Shmia, and he said, this is how the Baal Shem Tov was Matakan people. You and I, we have all the answers inside of us. You and I, we have all the wisdom inside of us. You and I have much. But the question is, did we allow ourselves to hear it? And Rabbi Singer said that the Baal Shem Tov would allow people to hear themselves. And he showed me, taught me, he was already speaking to me about a mahalach, an approach to meeting the world, meeting yourself. Within he shared with me something called Baal Shem Tov listening. And he would share, before he would sit with somebody, he would say, Hashem is Barach, give me the ability to really listen to them. Let me listen. Hey, so we just experienced little technical difficulties. Um, Rabbi, you were, you, were, you were sharing about Baal Shem Tov listening. Um, if you can just continue that thought. Please. Where So what we were sharing was that Rabbi Singer, he had practices to upgrade his way of being, which really is a, a way of navigating human experience. He understood how the human experience manifests in an incredibly real way. He understood the architecture of the soul, as we call it. And he had this Messiah passed down to him from his teachers and it was called Baal Shem Tov listening. It was a way to get into a certain state in order to really open up and listen to the person in front of you. And um, he was a master. He was a master listener. Wow. Would you be up for sharing just a, a, a drop a little bit about how we can do that? The Balshamtav listening. I I know that we've 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 spent many hours talking about Balshamtav listening together, um, but maybe just even just a little bit. Of course. For all those uh, listening. Of course, how if I could be of service. So, number one, what we could notice as we usually listen, there's noise going on inside, and this is the same as we daven, as we are learning. There's noise. There's internal stimulus going on inside. 
Do I agree with what this person is saying? Do I not agree? Do I understand what the person is saying? And what we do just to start off is just to stop, take a breath and just stop, take a breath and just slow down. And through taking a breath and slowing down, when we come to listen to the person, if an internal voice comes up, let it go. I'm now listening to you. You exist and I'm listening to you. That's all that exists right now. And what we can, and this as well is based on certain teachings from the school of Rabbi Singh and his friends, is if a voice comes up, just acknowledge it. If something comes up, acknowledge it and let it go. So, for example, if I'm speaking to somebody, there are times where I may actually stop and say to the person, I wasn't on you. Let me just refocus. And as well, if something comes up from the inside, and I can't do that with the person I'm speaking to, I will just say, hi. If a voice comes up, if a feeling comes up, hi, I recognize that you're there, and then I will refocus on the person. Wow, incredible. Incredible. Thank you. <clears throat> um, so it's so interesting. I, I was recently having a WhatsApp uh, conversation with our brother, Bensi, and we were going back and forth and recording voice notes, and I, at some point I said to him, why don't we just talk on the phone? And he says, no, 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 this is much better because this way we actually listen to everything the other person says, we process it, and then you send the thought back and it's so much deeper. When we're on the phone with each other, we right away want to answer. You're always constantly, you know, formulating a response. So. Obviously there's a lot more to it, but I, I think for now that could be maybe helpful for people. Okay, so I think it's it's really getting late. Um, Baruch Hashem, I really enjoyed this time. But since it is, before we wrap up, since it is the Rapshitzer's yard site, uh, we were hoping you could share maybe, it's really up to you, but maybe a tire from the Rapshitzer or an idea or an insight or something to connect to, to the Holy Rapshitzer, the Holy Zayda. I would suggest the two, my two Rabbonim, apart from my many Rabbonim, my two Rabbonim, I've got on one side Rabbi Nachman, on the other side the Rapshitzer. And it's very interesting because when I read through the teachings of Rabbi Nachman, I happen to love other tzaddikim as well, and I learn other tzaddikim svarim. That's maybe part of the Rapshitzer as well. You know, just, just maybe a bit of, a bit of background. Um, you know, a bit of background for those who don't know, the Ropshitzel was born 1760 and he was Nifta 1827. He was Zeicha for that time period to live quite a long life. As well, what's important to know about the Ropshitzel, he died, when he, he was born on the day the Baal Shem Tov died. And the Divrei Chaim, Reb Chaim of Sons, Reb Chaim's Halbushtam, who was a Talmud of the Rapshitz, that he famously said, when a sun sets, a sun rises. So there's a number of tzaddikim who used to call him the Kleiner Balshemtiv, the little Balshemtiv, that he was, so to speak, coming and drawing from the Balshemtiv and giving something to us. 
What's interesting as well about the Robshitzer is that the Robshitzer came from a very, very Yehustika family. Yet, he, even though he was proud of it, he worked incredibly hard on himself. And he had a number of Rebbers. He didn't just have one Rebbe as was normal in that time period. You have a Talmud, Rebbe, Rebbe, Talmud. Here in this situation with the Robshitzer, he went to a number of different Rebbers. He was a Talmud of Rev Noemi, the Noemi Limelech, Rev Elimelech of Lezhensk. He was a Talmud of the Chayz of Lublin, the Koznitz of Magid, and as well Menachem Mendel of Rimenov. And this is something very, very important because basically when speaking about the Robshitzer, he was an incredibly unique character. And there's, I, I believe there's many overlaps coming from slightly different angles between Rebbe Nachman and the Robshitzer that sometimes is lost. The Robshitzer was a person who was focused and deep. And even though he was a Rav, and I've based in a Boki in Nigla, he emphasized Nista, Hasidus and Nista. So even though the Robshitzer <coughs> was um, deeply entrenched in Nigla, he was a Pesach, he was an Avbeistin, his focal point, his focal point was Hasidus and Nista. And, and there's stories, he writes that in his previous Gilgal, he was Makaim the Nigla and not Makaim the Nista. And one life experience for the Robshitzer was to be deep and to be focused, to be deep and focused. You know, we can notice in our world, we live in a superficial and, uh, you know, uh, we're not focused. It's a very, it's, it's, we're, we're living in a very superficial world. It's a problem today. And what we're suggesting here is the message of the Robshitzer was to be deep and was to be focused. I find as well, I'm sure everybody knows that the Robshitzer he, as we said, was a Rebbe who probably out of all the different tzaddikim had the most Rebbes. And that's because he felt that you can't learn everything from one person. You have to experience the whole, the whole in the part and the part in the whole. So it didn't mean that the Ropshitzer was all over the place. It meant that he was focused and he was picking up and learning what he needed to learn from the different Sadiqim he hung around. And there's one, one Enochal said to me, he went to see the Pnei Shechina, he went to see the Shechina on all the different Sadiqim's faces. As well, it was very difficult to have the Ropshitzer as a Talmud. He was a very interesting character. I mentioned that I find when I'm learning Rabbi Nachman, I hear a lot of the Ropshitzer as well. So for example, if we speak about Tinyana Mayach, Mem Ches, where we have the famous um, but people miss out the words there, you have to go on that Gesher. The world is a very narrow bridge. What does that mean? There's a fine line between living a conscious, awakened life or being in a sleep state alive. And the Robshitzer was a Baldas. The Robshitzer has a number of Torahs about being in Das, Yudgimomidos Rachamim, Nunshare Bina, and Zarakaidesh. And he's telling us, he's sharing with us, be alive, be alive. And just as Rebbe Nachman, he chose to go on this very narrow bridge, which is not easy. It's not always easy. To be real, to be authentic is a journey. The Robshitzer, as well, was on this journey. And as well, we know, for example, 
Chaim Aran in, I think it's Reish Ayin Tet, where Rabbi Nachman speaks about how he was a Chidush. There was an element of Chidush as well with the Rabshitzer. Rabshitzer as well was a Chidush. And famously, we mentioned it before, Tinyana Nun Base, where famously Rabbi Nachman, he writes there, I mean, I have a Lukute Maran. Um, if you have one, open it up. I think it's Nun Base, where Rabbi Nachman speaks about how we don't really understand the Bayra Oilam and we don't understand the Tzaddik. Not everything has to fit in our box. Rabshitzer was very much like that. How did that manifest for him? That manifested in, in a way where, number one, he was joking a lot of the time and um, doing pranks. There was a lot of laughter. And again, that laughter wasn't stunned. That laughter was to do with the irony that he chapped because he was so conscious. And as well, he would make fun of the Rebbers. If he saw a Rebbe and he was fat, he would call him fat. If he was thin, he would call him thin if he was tall he'll call him ah you're tall you must not uh, know us down here because your heads are in the clouds or you know he used to make fun why to keep people on edge but as well to keep himself on edge to keep himself on edge he didn't want for himself and he didn't want for his community to be in a sleep state and we famously know though when he was speaking to his Hasidim he was kind, he was gentle, he was understanding. So when he felt there was Gaiva, he would rock the boats. When there was another and shiftless, he was the most gentle and kind person. And his children, all his children became rebbers. And his children, when speaking about their father, there's a few texts here and there, but they speak with such love, such covered about a father who really cared for them and invested in them. And the Rabshitsa was community. He was about community. He was about the health of others. And for me, you know, you've got the, the darkness, so to speak, the darkness of Rabbi Nachman. There's a darkness there's, uh, 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 of Rabbi Nachman. That you, 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 do we have to say more? With the Rabshitsa, there's this bridge of recognizing this irony. There's this bridge. I, I believe both Rabbi Nachman, the master Rabbi Nachman, and the master of the Ropshitzer, they recognized the irony and paradox of reality. And they played it. They leveraged every single situation to up their game. They leveraged every single situation to know, as it says in Torah Aleph, Bechol Davar, Bechol Davar. There's a Seichel, there's a Chochma, Bechol Davar. Every single thing in our reality, nothing left out. These technical uh, difficulties are definitely driving me bananas. It's the Rob Shitz is playing. The Rob Shitz is playing games with us. You should feel. You should feel good. You should feel wanted and needed. The Rob Shitz is looking down at us and he's he's pressing all the buttons to drive us a little cuckoo. Chazda Hashem. So. What, what I was sharing, what I was suggesting is that the Robshitzer had this, this deep relationship with reality that he, he knew when to joke and laugh, which there was a lot of that, yet he knew to be sensitive. He knew the subtleties, he knew tact, he knew how to work with people. And he had this marvelous and deep relationship with his whole Kahila. And there's a number of stories there's a number of stories, not to go into them now, but there's a number of stories which demonstrate this. It demonstrates his humor, his laughter, because he was so 
sensitive to irony. Irony was like a big thing. The paradox, everything is a paradox. <laughs> you know, the Emek HaMelech writes, the Emek HaMelech writes that Hashem is Baruch looked at all of creation. And when he got to the end of creation, he chuckled. And, and uh, profound as it is, abstract as it is, from that chuckle, everything that we know came into existence. And the Rab Shitzel was very much like that. He, he laughed life into existence. He, 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 he had this unbelievable koyach, this unbelievable koyach. And I believe the message of the Rab Shitzer is a message that's so important today because we take things too seriously. We're control freaks. Everything, right. as we said, as we said, Tinyana Membeis, or, or uh, you know, everything has to fit, and and that's not how life works. Uh, no, you know, nun base. It's like I just refer back to that Torah so many times. We don't understand everything. We're not going to understand everything, and all we can do is chap shut that it doesn't make sense and laugh right. about it. And that's to joke. It's interesting. I, I think that we might have had this conversation more than once, but this is very reminiscent of of the Torahs and the ideas and the way that I kind of relate to Yitzchak Avinu, Midas Hagvura, which is so focused and so on the ball, but yet it's mamish like tzchayk, it's laughter. And the truth is, is that I think, you know, like, like Rebbe mentioned, creativity is really only in the dark edges when we go out of the, the reservation, we have to go, we have to go explore how far to the edge can you go? And that's where laughter is. And that's where real growth is. And that's where authenticity is. You know, when you stay like the same thoughts that you had yesterday, there's no real originality, no creativity. And that definitely seems like a lot of ruptures. Very ruptures. Ruptures and Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman speaks about Chidush. Rabbi Nachman in Chaim Maran, Reish Ein Teti, speaks about Chidush. And he says, even if I was not the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, and I, you know, I, there would be no Chidush. And he uses the term there in, I think, I think, look it up for yourself, but he uses the term there that the world was quiet. The world was quiet. The Rav Shitzah loved Chidush and Rabbi Nachman loved Chidush. And by the Rav Shitzah, you know, it's an amazing thing. We're speaking about the Chesed and Gevura. Chesed is Ava. Chesed is loving kindness. I would suggest in our generation, it's not loving kindness we need. Everyone speaks about Ahavaschinam. There's enough love in the world. And as the Beatles said, all you need is love. This is not true. It's not true. What we need is covered. Covered is actualized love. Covered is respecting boundaries. Covered is recognizing. What does the person in front of me like and what do they not like? Am I going to respect that or not? Kavod is kaved. And that's all a bechina of Gevura, which is a bechina of Yitzchak. Yitzchak is schok. Yitzchak, as we know, is the av that ushers in the Moshiach. And we can go on and on with these Torahs. But I would suggest that both these personalities, who we both love, the Rav Shitzah Rabbi Nachman, they're coming from a place of Gevura. They're coming from a place of Kavod more than a place of Chesed. And, and just as if we go back, for example, Rabbi Nachman speaks about uh, in Azamra that you have to look at the good. What Kayach are you using to look at the good? You're using one Kayach and one Kayach only, Gevura that chesed is going to be the expansion of how things are manifesting. Chesed, ah, the guys are uh, Russia. No, 
What's Gevura? I have to hyper-focus to come to a place of Das and choose using my Bechira and come into a place of Gevura, a place of covered, covered Habrius, a place of covered, covered Hashem, covered Hatayra, and recognize if Hashem brought something into existence, Bechol Davar, every element of existence has an Akudatova. And the Rob Shitzer was very much like that. The Rob Shitzer, he would say very often, the Rob Shitzer would say very often, wherever you are in Aveda, wherever you are, give it to the Bayra Olam. Give it to the Bayra. So if you're exhausted as you daven, Hashem, this is the Korban that I have for you. If I'm having, if I feel annoyed, Hashem, this is the Korban that I have, to, have for you. And there's many overlaps. That's Gevura. That's an Indian of Kavod. We have enough love we have enough ava and i think that's a big chiddush by the rapshitz and by rabbi nachman even though rabbi nachman is a central spheres and 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 uh the rapshitz says central spheres he's a very much about being a baldas which you see in his forum the nakuda is is that there's something so deep going on with both of them they're such if i could say deep lovers of life Hakol, they recognize the davar, mamash, the seichel and the chokhmen, bechol davar, in an unbelievably wide, deep and amplified way. And there's always more to talk about. There's always more to talk about. I think the takeaway just of what I'm trying to share with me on this day and with us is that be sensitive into not falling into our ego-driven traps to make sure that we remain in a state where we don't know. We really don't. We should have the deepest covered for the whole of the Bria and, and laugh, laugh, be happy if it's and laugh. Laughter comes from thinking, creativity. Laugh. There's so much that we could laugh about where we take seriously and we break that ice. We're mevatl the gazeros. So please add, Rabbi Yehuda, no, I want to add, main, I want to hear from you. This was, this was absolutely incredible, and um, I really enjoyed it. And I think that even all these, you know, tikkunim that we had at the end, this is Mamash Kevalt, I dropped out, Yaakov dropped out, but Baruch Hashem, the fact is that being able to have these moments together and being able to have these conversations um, are huge. I really, really appreciate you being here with us. And, um, and it's, you know, it, we, ha we do have a wealth of, of tzaddikim, and and I and I very much resonated with that aspect that you know of the Rapshitzer being open to so many different rebbers and 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 he synthesized that and he was able to make that and I feel like that's really our generation and I'm really I, I'm I feel myself it's a schus to be able to know you and to know many tzaddikim but that are synthesized and we're able to synthesize it to make. I think one. that's another that's another message for us as well. Sorry, just, just going in a little bit more just because I can't, I can't hold myself back. I told you, I've got a big mouth. The Nakuda, I think, which is really relevant for us today as well, apart from the Kavada Brias, recognizing that people are different. People are always going to be different. They're always going to be different. I told over a Maiset to Reb Yaakov that, that the Nakuda is, is that the Robshitsa, on a certain respect, and it may sound a little bit odd, was less bothered about somebody being from or not from, and was more bothered about the human being behind all of that. And there's a number of stories to talk about with that.
So he respected people where they are in their experience and he worked from that place. He didn't bring his agenda on what was going on. If somebody was a Balgaiva, he would go for it. He would love, he would mamash, go for it. And as well, he, uh, he was immersive. He was a synthesizer. I remember I spoke to an anical of the Ropshitsa who was Nifta. I met him when he was in his, um, you know, he was over 100 years old when I met him. And he was Nifta 17 years ago. And I asked him, I said, did the Ropshitsa have favored Svarim? And he basically said to me, he said, he did say certain things that the Ropshitsa enjoyed learning and that he felt was important to learn, Reish's Chochmah and a few other Svarim. But the Nukude is, he said by the Ropshitsa, he wanted the individual to be the individual and find their own path. So if you machazik by Tanya, learn Tanya. If you machazik by Breslov, learn Breslov. If you machazik by Piersetzna, learn Piersetzna. If it's Ishbitz, learn Ishbitz. Because the Ropshitsa believed deeply, I can't live your life. You have to live your life. You've got your genius. You've got your wisdom. You've got your gifts that the world needs to know and the world is waiting to meet. And, and I believe that message is so relevant for us today. Amen. Amen. Yes, that is incredibly relevant. Thank you so much, Rebbe. Really, really appreciate that. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to having you back many times on, uh, on, on this podcast. Um, I know there's so much, so many more conversations that we want to have, but this was really a wonderful, wonderful start. Thank you. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yaakov, I love you both very much. You're such beautiful, mamish, such beautiful beings. And I just wish you goodness to you and your beautiful families. And mamish, all of Amisrael, we should all go from strength to strength. And all of the human race, we should go from strength to strength, bringing much light and love and cover to the world. Bezas Hashem. Living Tiferes, living beauty. Bezas Hashem is Amen. Amen. Be blessed.